All right, well, let's get ready to get into the Word today. I want to invite you to take your Bibles out. If you've got a Bible, if you don't have one, there's one in the uh, book rack underneath the seat near you. We're going to put a lot of the Scriptures on the screen today, as we always do. I just think we ought to magnify God's Word. How about you? Did you know that the Lord said in the Psalms, I have, I have magnified my word above my name? Heaven and earth will pass away, the Bible says, but the word of God will remain forever. So we're going to lift up the word of God, uh, not just in this room and in this service, but we're going to lift it up in our hearts and in our lives today. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm on week three of a series we're calling Algorithms. And I just want you to know right here at the onset of this message today, they're listening. I mean it. How many of you guys have Alexa in your house? You know who, I don't, I don't mean a cousin. I mean, you know what Alexa is, right? You can just say Alexa and all of a sudden a little speaker in your living room or your kitchen starts talking back to you. Or what's the other one? Google. Google has one, right? Google Home. Yeah. Just, just come and be in my home, and, and uh, I, I got to be honest, it creeps me out a little bit. My wife, she babysits some kids uh, once a week, and, and she brought home a video the one day of this little two-year-old, you know, just like pulling up on the counter, trying to talk to Google, you know, just going like, like it's amazing. Uh, like, for example, my phone right now, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, can just, I, I can just talk to it. Hey, Siri, what's the weather? It's currently cloudy and 30 degrees in Wrightsville. Today's high will be 42 degrees, and the low will be 30. Well, I, mean, I don't have to touch the thing. I mean, it... hey, Siri, who do the Cowboys play? The Cowboys battle the Lions at 1 p.m. All right, going to be a short second service today. <laughs> Cowboys battle the Lions at 1 p.m. How many of you understand that if Siri responds every time I say, hey, Siri, then she actually had to be listening before I said, hey, Siri, to pick up on that? Is that, is that creepy to anybody? Now, see, she won't stop answering me. <laughs> Truth be told, I only turned that feature on for this moment because I say seriously a lot, and I figured that out when I updated my iPhone, and every time I would say seriously, or I would talk about the next sermon series. She would interrupt our conversation at our staff meeting and be like, I'm sorry, I thought I heard you say, I'm like, oh, just stop listening to me. But they're listening. Now, I, I don't say that to scare anybody. I don't say that because, you know, I'm worried about the, the big man or anything, big brother or anything like that. Uh, I, I say it because it's true, and, and everything that they're listening to are developing algorithms uh, that are being marketed back to you. For example, my wife and I were having a conversation in the kitchen several months ago uh, as we were trying to find a, a pot or a pan uh, underneath our cabinets. And so we're just talking, you know, like last year we got some of those copper pots and maybe some of you guys have those. And so we're having this conversation about pots and pans while we're clanging around and, and shuffling all, all the cabinetry. The next day, we open up social media and, and there's an advertisement for pots and pans, for some, some T-Fowl or Teflon. Or, and I'm going, what? You're listening to me. Stop listening to me. 
So then we started talking extra loud about a vacation in Hawaii, just to, just to test the algorithm, you know, just to see if, if it might work. It's funny, I was talking about this concept for this series uh, last month uh, with our staff, and, and Pastor Chris told me a story. He said uh, his wife, Brittany, called him on the phone, and she was going to pick up dinner uh, at, at a place. What was the place called? Noodle Shack. She said, do you want Noodle Shack? So never eaten Noodle Shack before, but hey, let's, yeah, I'll, I'll try, let's try Noodle Shack. So just a phone call, not, not clicking on the website, just a phone call. Next day, he opens up social media and here's an advertisement for Noodle Shack. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe they ran that because they listened to your conversation. Maybe they ran that because she swiped your credit card. I don't know, but they're listening. Now, if you have one of those devices, hey, they were listening before you got one anyway. So, you know, enjoy. Enjoy your technology. I don't say that to scare you. I say it because I'm talking about algorithms and I want to make a connection. Let me just give you a basic definition in case this is week one for you in this conversation. An algorithm is a method of solving problems, both big and small. So, in other words, if an advertiser knows what you're most likely to buy, or who is most likely to buy their product, they're going to focus their marketing towards that individual. There's an algorithm for it. But you also have algorithms. Like, you have an algorithm for folding your socks and organizing them. How many of you hate when somebody gets your algorithm wrong for putting the laundry away? Come on, you're like, that's not where they go. That's not how I fold them. You're going to stretch them out. You know, you ever had that argument in your house? Why? Because you have an algorithm. There's a way that I get the results that I want to get. There's a process that I work through. So let me just give you one more broad, broad definition, and then we'll move into some application. An algorithm refers to a sequence of steps or rules designed to produce a specific outcome from a set of inputs. For example... A food recipe is an algorithm. It, it, you take these raw materials, you put these amounts of them together to get the results that you want. Now, how many of you know if it doesn't taste right, you got to change the algorithm. Next time you cook that meal, you might make some adjustments. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, some of you are in church this morning and you, life has put a bad taste in your mouth. You need to change the algorithm. Come on, I should have got more than one amen <laughs> on that. I, I'm sure you didn't, you were, you were tweeting it. That's why you didn't say amen. You were like, so good. That was fire. Where's that emoji? So he's like right now. <laughs> All right. I'm playing with the teenagers. You got to change the algorithm to get the results that you want to get. I want to pray today that God's going to help us to do that. I want to pray that God will help us to, to get the results that he wants you and I to get out of life. Would you just bow with me one more time? Bow your head with me. God, we come to you today. Lord, we open our hearts to what the Spirit of God wants to say to the church. God, we're listening today. There's lots of noise. There's lots of messages. There's lots of information that is coming to us, both presently and, and voices from our past things from our experience, things from our upbringing. There's a lot of noise. And God, we want to hear your voice through the noise. We want to adjust our spiritual ears today to hear what your word is saying, to know your voice, the voice of our good shepherd. 
Jesus, you said in John 10, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. God, help us to attune our hearts to what you're saying by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 I just want to build a little bit more on, on this foundation of, of where we've been, because I, I got to tell you, truthfully, I have thoroughly enjoyed studying this topic. And the topic, by the way, is not algorithms. That's just my metaphor. The topic is renewing your mind. You need to know that's what we're really talking about, renewing our minds. And, and we started this series a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about how our minds see things a certain way way, that your brain has neural pathways, and, and that, that there's certain ways that, that you process information, and, and the thoughts that you think, they travel down those neural pathways, and, and the, the metaphor that we gave week one is like this. It's like, it's like a path that people walk through in the grass, and the more they walk through that same path, the more they cut through the yard on that same corner, pretty soon that path uh, begins to wear down and it becomes clearly seen and it becomes evident. And then after a while, people are turning the corner and it looks like the way you should go. It's the broad established path. And that's the way your thoughts are. And when you're young and more impressionable, those thoughts become uh, paved in your mind sooner and quicker. And so you have neural pathways that you think through and that you process things. In other words, you have an algorithm for the way that you think. And the problem with that is we don't always think good thoughts. If we all thought good thoughts, this would be great news. But the reality is we have negative thoughts. We live in a fallen world. And even the best parents make mistakes. And, and, and even uh, the perfect parent, though they don't exist, would send their kid out into a world that is full of sin and full of harm and full of destruction, and not to mention all the noise of our own sinful nature. Even if you don't say anything bad about me, I thought 10 bad things about myself. And so these neural pathways are established in our thinking, and they become the default setting. Maybe it's a setting that says, I, I'm, I'm not beautiful, or, or I'm not lovable, or 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 people can't be trusted, whatever it might be. There's, there's a thought process, and, and you find yourself in multiple contexts, in multiple scenarios, in multiple relationships, always coming back to that default setting in your mind. And we talked about what we have to do to change the algorithm. First of all, you got to identify the lie. And I, I want to say that again today, because you know what I've learned about me since I said that three weeks ago? I still have to identify the lie. The Bible says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Did you know he's still coming? He, he didn't tap out when you answered an altar call. How many of you know that's to be true? Like, well, good thing I got him off my back. Let's just move on. Hey, man, I'm a Christian now. No more problems, right? He's still coming. And so I have to identify the lie of the enemy that wants to continue to come up and, and resurface in my mind and put a, a bitter taste in my mouth. Secondly, not only do I have to identify his lie, i got to discover the truth about what God says. I've got to open up his word. I've got to open up my mind. I've got to receive uh, knowledge and insight from God's word. And then with that tool, with that resource, rejecting the lies of the enemy and standing on the promises of God, I begin to create a new pathway. I begin to carve a new way of thinking. My outlook changes. Maybe the old me would have been in this situation and handled it differently, but today I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. 
Have you ever had somebody that, that, that you didn't see for a long time and maybe you knew them in your BC life? And, and they, they, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And then all of a sudden you come and you cross paths with those people and, and they're shocked at, at, at the way you handle a situation. They go, wow, man, the, the guy I know, he would have he done lost it. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't believe you took that from them. Why? why? Because I've changed the algorithm. What used to be hostility, there's now peace. What used to be a short temper is now patience and loving kindness and gentleness. And, and what used to be the, the flesh and the sinful nature, now I have the, the fruit of the Spirit living on the inside of me. You change the algorithm. You create a new pathway, a new way of thinking. Science calls it rewiring your brain, but the Bible calls it renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. And, and there's a verse in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I want to put this on the screen again. If you don't know this verse, if this is unfamiliar to you, I want to challenge you to find it and underline it. Now, if you're borrowing one of our Bibles, you can underline it anyway, because somebody else is going to borrow that Bible, and they're going to need that verse on a day that I'm not talking about renewing your mind. You need to know this verse of Scripture. You need to apply this to memory. This is one of the promises that you can stand on to identify the lie of the enemy. Look at it with me. Do not conform to the pattern, or could I say algorithm, or pathways of this world, but be transformed, be changed, be renewed. How? He says, by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. How many of you want to know God's will for your life? I mean, come on, I've never met a person, if they're honest, that hasn't at some point in their life said, I, I want to know what God has for me. What's next? What's God's will? This verse gives you the algorithm to begin to get understanding about the purpose and the plan of God, whether it's in a general sense for all of his children or very specific for this season, in this hour, in your life. Our minds become renewed. And then we're able to test and approve what God's will is. Some of you came to church this morning, you're looking for a revelation. Like somebody, just tell me something. You don't need a revelation. You need a renewal. You need your mind renewed. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. And by the way, his will is always good, and it's always pleasing, and it's always perfect. So last week, we, we took that a step farther, and just the challenge was this, make a decision. I mean, you've got to make a decision. It was A.W. Uh, Tozer who said, we gravitate toward our inward longings, provided that, of course, those longings are strong enough to move us. That's human nature. It's also spirit nature, that, that we are moved towards the longings of our heart if those ambitions and those desires are strong enough to want to move us. And, and so Jesus asked a man a question who was obviously sick. Everybody that saw him knew he was in need. And yet Jesus asked the man the question. Do you remember what it was? He said, do you want to get well? Do you even want to get well? Is your inward longing for change strong enough to move you? Is it strong enough to say, yes, I, I want to change. I want to think differently. I want to renew my mind. I don't want to go down the same old patterns. And if you're going to do that, the Bible communicates over and over again. It comes back to the desires of your heart. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above. 
Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They're talking about desires. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Now, there's a verse that I've read every week in this series, but I'm going to read it again. And it's in 2 Corinthians. And this is another verse that you need to apply to memory. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Look at these words. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Last week, we talked about taking captive is is an offensive word picture of a sword. We take him captive with the word of God. But the, the part I want you to notice today is what comes after that. What do we take captive? Every thought. That's huge. You know, the average person, scientists tell us, thinks 30,000 thoughts per day. Now, some of us, we move a little slower in the morning, but you get there. 30,000 thoughts per day. This verse tells us that we take every thought captive unto Christ. We make it obedient to Christ. So as, as your life, as your mind is renewed every day and, and new neural pathways begin to be formed, In your mind, old pathways begin to be grown over and and less familiar. Your your default outlook begins to to change, and it detours towards the things of God and and the heart of God. Can I tell you that doesn't happen by attending an hour and a half worship service on Sunday? I mean, let's let's just lower the expectation if that's what you're coming in with. This is not a quick fix this morning. Amen? That's not what church is. Pull into the lube shop and just kind of work things out and get me going again, and I'll see you next Sunday. And a lot of people sputter through their faith with that mentality. But if you're going to renew your mind, if you're going to change your thinking, if you're going to have the mind of Christ, it happens by daily renewing your mind. So on Wednesday of this week, I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up for week three, and uh, Ginger Yeagle, one of the ladies in our church, she sent me a video. She sent me a video and she said, have you ever heard of Dr. Leaf? I said, no, I've never heard of Dr. Leaf. And she said, I saw this video and it was so encouraging. I thought I'd share it with you. And so she sent me a video and I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Leaf. I never had before, but Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communications pathologist and a cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and a PhD in communication pathology. All that says is she knows a lot more about your mind than I do. And so I was very interested, and I clicked the little space bar on my computer, and and I started listening to what Dr. Leaf had to say. And she wasn't 10 seconds into the video, and she made this statement. She said, your mind and your brain are not the same. You are not your brain. You control your brain. I hit the space bar, and I had to stop. I said, wait, let me get a pen. I don't know about you, but when I feel like God's going to speak to me, I grab something to write with. Just a hint. I said, this is going to be good. We'll say it again. Your mind and your brain are not the same thing. You are not your brain. You control your brain. See, you're made up of a non-physical and a physical part. The non-physical part of you, that's your consciousness. 
It's also your unconscious thoughts, the things that happen while you're sleeping. But your conscious and your unconscious thoughts, they work together to form who you are. That's the non-physical part of you, and that's your mind. Your mind makes up 90 to 99% of your identity, who you are. That's your spirit. That's your soul. That's your heart. It's how you connect with God through the inner man. It's what we feel in our emotions and in our spirit as we worship today. It's how you connect with somebody deeply and intimately in a relationship. It's who you are. It's 99% of who you are. Your mind is where you think. Your mind is where you feel. Your mind is where you make choices. And those choices are based off what you think and what you feel. But your mind has to function through something physical. The non-physical side of you functions through the physical side of you, and that's your brain. Your brain makes up 1% to 10% of who you are. Your brain expresses the information that's stored in it about who you are. Your brain sends that information to your body so that it can respond and act according to who your mind is telling you are. It responds to your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices. The physical matter that is your brain, it works with your mind. Your mind communicates to your brain. Your mind literally is is driving the information through the brain. The brain is the vehicle, and it communicates back, and so they need each other, and they're intricately connected. But why does that matter? Why does it matter that we understand this morning that, that our mind and our brain are not the same thing? Now, here's what Dr. Leaf said that made me pause the video twice. As I'm watching this video, this pathologist said, you are not your brain. You are not a victim of your biology. You are a victor over and above your biology. I reacted so different than you when I heard that. (laughs) I mean, I just hit the space bar, just pulled my chair back. I got up and just said, hallelujah, but that's the truth. You are not a victim of your biology. You're a victor over and above your biology. Why? Because you are not your brain. Your mind controls the process of how your brain responds. Your mind decides how you think. Your mind decides how you feel. Your mind decides what you choose. And I don't know what your prevailing thought is. I don't know where your mind's at. For some people, they grow up with this this mindset. It's a, a, a neural highway that says, I'm strong. I'm strong. Maybe it was because they were always told that. Maybe it's because your dad had a nickname for you. You're, you're, you're mighty man. You're strong. You're a tough guy. Or maybe it was because you had to be strong, and everybody leaned on you. And you, you know, I, I can remember my first day of kindergarten. You know what I remember about it? I walked into the building with my best friend. We grew up to church. We grew up in church together. Her mom was my dad's secretary at the church. And, and so me and Sarah, we were, we were best friends. And we were both scared to death about our first day of kindergarten. And we got two steps in the door, and she broke into tears. And something in my little six-year-old head said, I can't cry. I got to be strong for Sarah. And maybe you've had a moment like that, and it's just hardwired that in this moment, I'm strong. I might feel broken. I might be falling apart on the inside, but I've got to be the strong one. For some of you, it's not such a positive feeling. For some of you, it's I can't trust anyone. 
That's the default setting. I can't trust anybody because somebody let me down. Somebody walked out on me because I I opened my heart and I put it out there and they crushed it. And so that's the default setting. And we say, hey, we're glad you're here today. And you're going, I doubt it. (laughs) And we say, everybody's welcome here. And you go, yeah, but you don't know my story yet. So it's easy for you to say that. Or we say, you ought to join a life group. And you say, well, they wouldn't want me. Because you've got a default setting. Or maybe for you, it's, it's, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And you just always come back to that. It doesn't matter if you're raising your own kids and you are perfectly, uniquely equipped by God to raise those kids. Nobody else was given those kids but you. And still, in the privacy of your own thoughts, you think, I'm not good enough. When in reality, nobody was called to parent those kids but you. But for some of us, that's the default. That's the setting. It's the prevailing mindset. Can I tell you, your thoughts, they're actually creating matter. Think about this. We talked about neural pathways. It's just a thought. It's just a little, it's just a little footprints in the grass the first time you thought it. But maybe there was a lot of emotion tied to it. Maybe there was a traumatic experience. Maybe it was something that was just said to you over and over and over again. You're, you'll, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never amount to anything. You're good for And all of a sudden, it becomes the highway of your mind. And literally, scientifically, what is happening is you are building a neurological pathway in your mind. You ever heard the phrase before, mind over matter? Mind, apparently there's scientific evidence to back up that truth, that your mind, your thoughts are actually creating matter. The way you think is building thought patterns and, and, idea, and, and roads that your mind can, can travel on. It's actually creating matter in your brain through your thoughts. So if you can change your mind, you can change your matter. So look at somebody next to you and ask them, what's the matter with you? (laughs) What's the matter? I mean, if I can change my mind, and by changing my mind, I actually change my matter, then what's the matter? You know what we do? We, We brush stuff off. We go, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. No, scientifically, it is matter. It matters when you think the same way, the wrong way, over and over again, when you always are less than, when you never feel like the person that God intended you to be. It matters. It is matter. And if you'll change your mind, you can change your matter. Now, I want you to see this in the Word today. And so go with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're pretty much going to camp out here till the end. I want you to understand as we're looking in in this letter, this is the Apostle Paul writing to born-again believers. Now, I have to qualify that because there's the possibility that, that somebody's in church today and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, you're curious, you're checking this thing out. Maybe somebody invited you and you came. Maybe you just really love gourmet popcorn. I don't know. But, but it's possible that there's people that came today, and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, so you need to understand that this is not pop psychology that I'm trying to communicate to you today. He's writing this stuff 
to people that have received Jesus Christ in their heart as the Lord of their life, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, His Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of you. The Bible says that you are born again. You have newness of life. It goes so far as to say that the old things are gone, and behold, all things have become new. And then we begin to learn how to walk in that newness. It's not always instantaneous. We don't forget. Isn't it awesome that God, when you say, I'm sorry for my sins, the Bible says he actually can forget? A God who knows everything chooses not to remember your sins. It's it's a conscious choice because he knows it all. But he chooses to say, "I, I, I will remember your sins no longer. As far as the east is, From the West, that's how far they've been removed. But I don't have that luxury. In fact, I've found that me and the devil are really good at reminding me of my failures at the most inconvenient times. So Paul is writing to people that have been changed. They've been saved. But it doesn't mean we've arrived. There's still some things we have to do. We have to renew our minds. We We have to... We have to make up for those default settings of our thinking that we were raised with or that we thought of in our sinful nature. And so here's what he says in Ephesians 4. I want to begin in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That's pretty strong. I don't just tell you, I insist that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. How did they live? He said, in the futility of their thinking. So here's the great apostle Paul writing to Christians, just like you and me, Christians who who were living in Ephesus, which is a a culture that was, was plagued with immorality. And he says, you have to change your thinking. I, I insist on it. Change your mind. Don't live like the Gentiles do. And the Gentiles, he was using that as a broad term to talk about those who don't know Christ. Because the people he's writing to, they're actually Gentiles too. But because now they have a relationship with Christ, he views them differently. And so what he's really saying is, you have to change your way of thinking from the way you used to always think, the way other people still think, the way they process the information. It's futile. You have to change your mind. Verse 18, he says, They are dark, talking about those who are still lost. He said, they are darkened in their understanding and they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Uh, That's a mouthful, but I just want you to work through this thought for a minute. Paul says they have darkened understanding because their hearts are hardened. That's the exact opposite of what our world says. Our world says your DNA determines your desires. Your desires then dictate your behavior, and your behaviors reveal your identity. So you are who you are because that's what the DNA said. And we learn who you are by how you act, and you act according to what you desire, and you desire because of your DNA. In other words, you were born this way, so you feel this way, so you act this way, and so 
That's how we identify you. And, and modern day prophetess Lady Gaga would say, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. But you know what the gospel does? The gospel flips that thinking completely upside down. The gospel begins with your identity. The gospel says your identity is hidden in Christ Jesus. The gospel says that before the foundation of the world was laid, he foreknew you. That he created you in your inmost being. You were knit and formed together in your mother's womb. The gospel tells us that our identity is in Christ. Colossians 3.3 says, for you died. That's salvation. When we go into the waters of baptism, we're representing the death of our old self the same way that Jesus went into the tomb. We go into the water in the same way he came out of the tomb with resurrection life. We come up out of the water. And in that sense, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, Richard Dawkins, he said, DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. But can I tell you what the truth is? The truth is, you aren't just out here dancing to your DNA. You have a mind, not just a brain. You have a mind, and you control it. That's why Paul said in another one of his letters in Romans chapter 6, or chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, he said this, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, verse 7 says. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So Paul is, is drawing this same distinction. And, and in verse 18, 18 here in Ephesians 4, he says, they hardened their hearts. And because they, heart, they hardened their hearts, because they did that, they're ignorant. His word, not mine. And now they're separated from the life of God. But it gets worse. Look at verse 19. He says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensu sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. They're full of greed. In other words, they, they never get enough of all the things that he mentioned here. They've lost all sensitivity. They never get enough of sensuality. They never get enough of indulging in every kind of impurity. They're, they're, like, they're like a drug addict who's chasing the, the feeling of that first high. They can, never, they can never get back to that place, and so they, they're never satisfied. They keep going back for a harder drug and a harder drug and a little bit more. Why? Because they are greedy, and they've lost sensitivity, and so they indulge themselves in every kind of impurity. And that's, the, that's the way of the world. Paul is saying that's the way of the world, that it it does what it wants to find what feels good and then to start chasing after that pleasure. And that's the mindset. Now, we might, we might package it a lot more beautiful than a dark story about a drug addict. We might just call it the American dream. But how many of you know it's the same mindset that says, I want to find what fills my tank, what satisfies me, what makes me happy, and I'm going to spend my life and my health and, and my days pursuing 
pleasure. Look at verse 20 to 22. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learn. That's why he can speak so authoritatively to these people. He's not just posting this out there on social media for people that he doesn't even know. He's writing to a group of people that he stayed with, people that that he pastored, people that he encouraged, and people that he taught. And he says that, that way of thinking that you see, that is not the way that you learned. Look at verse 21. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. See, renewing your mind is a process. He said you learned, you were taught in verse 22, you were taught in verse 21. He said you, there, there's a process to this. This isn't just something that just, you know, you just flip a switch and something's different. That's not the way you were taught. That's not what you learned. That's why it's so important that you're faithful to God's house. Amen? I mean, I wouldn't expect you to say amen if you didn't come today, but you're here. So that's why it's important that you're faithful to God's house. That's why it's important that you're faithful to God's word. That you become a self-feeder, that you, that you open up the word and that you allow the spirit of God to speak to you. On Tuesday night, we were hosting the student life group uh, at our, our house, and we were on session five of our Above and Beyond series, talking about heaven. And we, we had to break it into two parts. We got to come back this Tuesday to pick up our discussion about heaven because there was such a thirst for knowledge in the room. There were so many questions. There was so much great dialogue and conversation. That's the way we ought to be when it comes to knowing the word of God, renewing our minds, learning, being taught the truth. So we finally said, you know, it's getting late. Your parents are coming. We're going to have to just finish this conversation next week. And I commend those students for that, for a desire to know what the word of God says. What did Paul say they were taught? He said, that's not the way you learn. That's not what you were taught. What were they taught? Look at verse 22 again. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. What's being corrupted? Your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your choices. He said, you got you to put off that old self because it's corrupting your mind. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, He said these words, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. Well, what mind did Jesus have? Well, he goes on in that chapter to talk about the mind of Jesus. He says he was in the very nature God, and yet he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In fact, he made himself of nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Clothed in human likeness, Jesus humbled himself, even to the point of death on the cross. So what mind are we supposed to have in us? The mind of Christ is a mind of humility. You know why it's so important? The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know why that's so important, that God's grace and God's favor are on the humble? Because humility is a prerequisite for learning. 
How many of you understand, if you, if you think you know it all, you're not going to learn anything? And I said this last week, I want to say it again. The word disciple means learner. And so God gives grace, God gives favor to the humble because they're in a posture to learn. They're in a posture to renew their mind in Christ Jesus. So Paul tells the church, he says, you have to, you have to put off your old self. You have to put it off. Don't ask me to put it off for you. You put off your old self. But he also says that you have to put something in its place. This is not holiness by subtraction. It's not just becoming more like Jesus because we just do less. No, there's also things you have to put on. Look at verse 23. Look at the newness that comes in verse 23. He says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, you don't have to respond verbally or physically, but wouldn't it be awesome if God could change your attitude about some things? This week, wouldn't it be awesome if God could just give you a different perspective? I mean, some of you, you get you get towards the end of Sunday night and you start getting an ulcer in your stomach just thinking about Monday morning. You need a different attitude. You do. You need the Lord to renew your attitude because guess what? Monday, as much as Sunday, is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thanksgiving's coming up, and some of you, you're, oh, Jesus, Jesus, help me. My family, whoo, Lord, have mercy. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Before Thanksgiving. Wouldn't it be awesome if the Lord could just begin to do a work in your life? Just renew your mind. Give you grace where there was no grace before. Give you understanding where you lacked it, where there was judgment, where there was speculation, where there were old wounds, there would be healing, there would be peace. Come on, am I in anybody's Thanksgiving kitchen yet? Wouldn't it be awesome if the Lord would just renew our minds? He says, you can be made new in the attitude of your mind. How? Verse 21 said, you learned a new way. Verse 22 said, you were taught in accordance with the truth. Verse 23 says, you were taught to pull off the old self. And as we learn and as we're taught, we renew our minds. And all of a sudden, we get a new attitude in Christ Jesus. And the last thing that Paul says they were taught is to put on a new self. Look at verse 24. Put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and in true holiness. Again, Paul could say this to them because he had spent three years in Ephesus preaching to them. Paul had done what I'm attempting to do in this sermon series. And that's an important distinction because too often we get frustrated with people whose minds have not been renewed, people who haven't been taught, people who haven't learned. And we look at the Gentiles, we look at the lost world, and we get frustrated that sinners sin. It's kind of like getting mad about a dog that barks or a duck that quacks. Sinner's sin. Don't lose your peace over it. We understand that Paul is talking to people who have been born again. 
He's talking to people whose lives have been changed. The spirit of Jesus lives on the inside of them. They have the capacity in the spirit of God to change the algorithm, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And all the things that don't taste good, we begin to mix up the recipe. God begins to move things in our heart and in our mind to the point that we can look at our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we can declare what Romans 8.28 says, all things are working together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I didn't used to call them good, but now all things are good. Why? Because I got the recipe. Because my mind has been renewed. Because I understand that God is working a greater story for his glory in my life. It's what I want you to get today. I want you to get what Paul was convinced they should have had. You can change the algorithm of your thought processes. You can make your mind mind. Make it line up with the word of God and the promises of God and to be renewed in Christ Jesus. Spent a couple days this week, Thursday and Friday, with some of our teenagers at the University of Valley Forge. They had college visit days. And uh, so we were walking all over the campus. And more often than not, we were not taking the sidewalks. We were cutting through the grass. And... As we were doing that, I was thinking about this service, and, and I just thought about the, the, the conscious choice that I kept watching them make as I followed them around the campus. I kept watching. I mean, clearly, there, there's paths here that, that have you know, been paid for. And if you've ever had to pay for a new sidewalk, you know it, it wasn't cheap. And, and they've, they've paved these roads, and, and, and these are the obvious ways that you're supposed to go to get from point A to point B. But time and time and time again, moving from one building on the campus to another, I watched them make a conscious personal decision to take a different path, path that made more sense, path that was not as clearly marked, but a path that made more sense. And I just wonder how many of us need to make that same decision in the spirit today. You say, you know what? There's a path that makes a lot more sense because the Bible says that the word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I know that culture and my circumstance and my background and my experience has paved a broad road that says, you know, you just keep thinking these thoughts, keep living this way, keep being this person because you know what? That's, who, that's what it's here for. But something inside of you today needs to say, you know what? There's a better path because the word of God says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And as I thought about that, I remembered a story I had read a couple years ago. It happened on a different college campus. It was down at the University of Texas. And they were building and expanding, and they built a new building, and they poured the sidewalk And they opened the building, and then they noticed that none of the students were walking on the sidewalk. They were doing the same thing that these girls were doing at Valley Forge this week. So they got smart about it. And the next time they built a building, they didn't put a sidewalk in. They just built the building, and they waited to see where the footpaths developed. And then they poured the sidewalk on the footpaths. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do for some of us today. He wants to show us a new path, his way. Not the way of our sinful nature, not the way of the world, not the thoughts and the ideas and the concepts of who you are that were implanted in your mind by someone else or some experience. He wants to show you a better path. 
And then he wants you to begin to lay the sidewalk where the pathway is, to begin to renew your mind, to begin to hold on to the promises of God, to go back over that same path again and again and say, God, this is who you say I am. This is who you say I am. I want to ask the worship team to come back.